Hello and welcome to episode 98 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host Alex Schmitz and today I'm joined again by my dad Peter Schmitz. Hello Husker fans and college football fans. Hey everybody, we're back to our usual setup of uh, recording over Discord. Um, Although we will be together again uh, for Christmas time this year, so we'll be bringing you some more in-person podcasts at that time. Yeah, maybe we'll, let's see, which one is this? We're going to be getting close. Maybe we could be doing, we have to find a way to force it so that we are doing the hundredth one face to face. Well, uh, we won't have to force it because this is uh, number 98. So just two more from now and we'll perfect. We'll be together. Yes. I love it. There you go. It's funny how things work out, huh? It is. I like it. All right. Well, and for those of you who may be listening to this podcast for the first time, this is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We hear our father-son duo here to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as what's going on the national side of college football for this week. Um, so going back to the previous podcast, episode 97, Uh, We all gave our predictions in regards to the upcoming game against Purdue for Nebraska. Uh, I predicted a Nebraska victory of 31-24. Dad, you predicted a victory for Nebraska of 42-35. And AJ was the naysayer predicting that Purdue would win 38-27. But the final score, which I actually need to pull up here. 37-27. 37-27. There you go. Um, so, yeah, a little bit, a little bit uh, wider of a gap than any of us expected. Not by much, but uh, you know, we were given like seven point, uh, you know, s- stats on the difference in the game. That's um, right. That's right. And hey, you know, it, it was ugly at points, but we got our W. So that's wow. That's what and, we said we really was, needed. Exactly, and and we saw moments that I would describe as the best football Nebraska has played all year. You know, arguably you could say there were moments in the Penn state first half that we played that well, but I, I feel like, you know, that, that drive to start off the second half of this Purdue game was probably the best, most efficient, clean offensive drive, you know, outside of maybe some first drive of the game type of type of things. Uh, but but particularly since it happened in the beginning of the second half, which Nebraska has been awful, uh, I, I feel like that was a really significant drive. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And to commemorate that drive, I have my shock top Belgian white. This is my last one from <laughs> okay. uh, that particular uh, trip I have here yeah. with me. And I have a premium lager from, uh, from Grain Belt, which is uh, one of the uh, – uh, um, um, what do I say? Brands that are under the umbrella of Shell uh, Brewing Company uh, from uh, New Ulm, Minnesota. So that'll be mine. So here you go. So Shock Top, that's a you're, that's a cap. So you go ahead and do yours because it'll be a little pop. There it is. And then mine mine's gonna be a little louder. There you go. Because the old metal can. There you go. Cheers, my son. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Virtual cheers. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, it was fun. It was fun watching this game of, of course, um, 
Purdue was not playing their best. They made some uh, mistakes right out of the gate, you know, getting a, a punt blocked. Um, and so we quickly went up to a 17 to nothing lead um, that frankly could have easily could have been a 21 to nothing lead if we had just uh, finished out that that next drive that we had, uh, which would yes. really, you know, I, I, I kind of felt it there a little bit like, ooh, if we had gotten that 21 point lead, I feel better. But 17 is, you know, still a little too close for given how bad this team has played this year. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah. And it's about, it's about that killer instinct, right? Like, like if we are able to remain at a high efficiency level in situations like that and extend leads, then you bury a team, you, you destroy their will. Right. And then the rest of the game is easy because now they're now their mentality is totally shifted to, we can come back on this team to, well, this is going to be a rough day, and now we just we just got to hunker down and survive the rest of this thing and minimize the damage, right? And and you want to get teams to where they're feeling that way, and and we were on the verge of doing that, just like we were uh, against Penn State earlier in the year, and we didn't finish the job. Now, last year, ironically, we're you know we're going to be talking about next week's game against Minnesota. Minnesota absolutely did that, right? They got on us early, and then they put their foot on our throats and crushed us. Right. Uh, and that's what you got to do when you have the opportunity. And and Nebraska did not do that in this game. That's the that's the step that we still have to demonstrate that we know how to take. Right. Yeah. What I said to you after the game was over was that we've shown, you know, ability to be play like a good football team, you know, in quarters and halves. You know, we've been generally been better in the first half and worse in the second half. Um, and that kind of proved to be the case uh, here again in uh, this game where um, we started making some more mistakes in the second half and uh, nearly let them back into the game at points. Um, and it's just, you know, the difficulty of getting a team to play good, solid football for four quarters straight, you know, it, it's, right. that's a tricky thing to get together when when you have a team that's lost so much you know and you know the, we're still working on getting that psyche where we want it to be kind of like we talked about on last podcast um but right. i think uh we said that you know nothing's better than winning in terms of you know helping the confidence of these players and we got one today and hopefully or not today but you know on saturday and hopefully we can carry that forward into the next game right um, and and that's the other thing it's uh, the key here after the debacle that was the Illinois game, because now, you know, you, you look at that game and you say, that's the real low water point of this season was that Illinois game, because that was a game that was very winnable for us. We were as talented as the team across the field, and but we were completely unprepared for that game. And as a result, we, we laid an egg. And uh, and so it's, it's, it's about learning how to win. It's about learning how to be a winner. And how you prepare to be a winner, you know, week in and week out. And those are things that Nebraska has lost. They don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that, and it's not easy to find that. I mean, it really isn't. Because you're, you're asking people to do things and to commit and sacrifice at, at, a, at a level of, of preparation that they've never had to do in their lives. You're asking them to go someplace they've never been. Right. Right. Which is a... Uh part of that whole transition from the high school level to collegiate level in terms of football. Right. Um, so 
interestingly, when you look at the stats for this game, um, it kind of shows uh, a very large disparity uh, produced that on the stats. In terms of rushing yards, they had 17 attempts for negative two yards. Uh, so pretty good there. Uh, on the other hand, they had 334 passing yards. So pretty much they weren't able to do crap against us in the run, but uh, they kind of found some things in their passing game, although those numbers are a little bit inflated. Uh, yes. You may remember they had one huge play in particular where two of our guys ran into each other and their guy went all the way down the field for 86 yards for a touchdown. Um, so if you take that out, you know, then they're down to like 250, right? So that one play right there uh, takes exactly. a good chunk out of their yards. Because in general, you know, aside from a couple of drives where they, you know, they like had six plays and drove it down the field on us, which was not good to see. Uh, but in general, we went to a man-to-man coverage on their receivers, several of whom are very talented, as we pointed out in the uh, preview for this game that we did last week. And uh, our guys managed to cover them. Uh, and we got saw a lot of, you know, uh, good good job by our secondary in this game, uh, which was good to see for sure. I would agree. I think it's the best game our secondary has had this season. Uh, th- that was a team that had, you know, some NFL caliber wide receivers, and we were able to shut them down. And I also agree that if you look at the stats and you take one single play, that one single play away, right, that 86-yard touchdown, then and you look at the stats from that perspective, that is, that is a really good defensive effort. So, you know, I don't know. I think they had 70-some snaps, 71, something like that. If you take away that one snap, we played the kind of football that would lead to all the things we were just talking about, consistent success, consistent, you know, being able to build a, a lead and then blow somebody out. All those things happen if you, give, if you don't give up that one play. If we don't give up that one play and instead we play like we did the other 70 plays of the game and we defend reasonably well and end up causing them to punt at some point in that drive uh, and they don't get points out of it, then that game is very different. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it is interesting when you look at the stats, uh, we had 71 plays for 364 yards. They had 64 for 332. So looking at that, you know, they're actually quite close, but what that uh, doesn't show is that, you know, a, a number of our drives where we scored, we had really good field position. Like you'll remember the one where we were basically on their 20, you know, to start the drive due to like, uh, I think it was like a bad punt and then a penalty on Purdue that, uh, pushed us, uh, all the way right. to that point. And in general, right. uh, Purdue definitely played sloppy, a lot of penalties. They were 11 for 126, uh, at the end of the game. And we had a lot too. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a very high penalized game, but you think about it and some of ours, like, I think we had three or four and I think we had three and, and they maybe had like seven or we had four and they had seven, uh, uh, 15 yard personal foul penalty. Yeah. Well, and actually you, you'll, uh, I actually think we were doing generally pretty well, you know, going into the third quarter on penalties, but, um, you'll recall there was that fourth quarter drive of ours, um, where it's, there was a bunch of penalties and an injured player right on the kickoff. And from there, there were yep. just penalty after penalty, the whole drive, that one drive had seven penalties across both teams. Right. So. It was a, it was just awful display of football is what it is. But uh, part part of it was poor poor refereeing. Although I will say that most of those calls that they made 
we're we're legitimate in that if you scrutinize in detail to the letter of the of the rules like like we did earlier in this season you know where we got the rule book out and actually read the the word for word stuff they're probably were accurate right but the reality is some of those holding calls hell they could call those on every damn play so uh, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know uh, I, I wish that uh, football referees were able to do more of what basketball referees do, which is that they'll look at a, a grab or a hand placement and, and in a, on a basketball floor, they'll judge it and say, no advantage was gained. I'm not blowing my whistle. And then they'll look at that same situation, but they'll, they'll physically see an advantage gained by that leverage or by that hand placement um, that, uh, that they then say, okay, that's a fault. That's a foul, you know? Right. And, and I wish that the, the, the referees on the football field had a little bit more of that mentality or, or flexibility or whatever you want to call it. But I think because of their distances away, you know, this, the field of, of play and, of, and football is so much bigger than a basketball court, they're just not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it, and it leads to this kind of crap. Right. Uh, and one thing I want to bring up to make sure we don't forget is uh, talking about special teams. Um, it was kind of a mixed day for us uh, because on the one hand, we had uh, one of our punts blocked, like Purdue had one of their punts blocked earlier in the game. Um, and we still are showing some struggles on our uh, kickoff return coverage and things like that. Um, on the other hand, obviously we got the buck blocked punt on them, which was great early on in the game. And then um, Connor Culp, our field goal kicker, made three kicks, one of which was from 49 yards, which was his longest of the whole season. Well, in his career. His his career, there you go. And it it wasn't a pretty kick, but it made it through. Um, Exactly. And that was important for me to see because he had shown uh, throughout the season that he had consistency. I think he's only missed one kick the whole season. Um, but most of that was from that, you know, 30 to 40 yard kind of range. We hadn't really seen him do a distance kick and that, that, that proved that he's got the leg for it. So, uh, that's something I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see because, you know, when you don't have a field goal kicker, who you can, you can rely on to be consistent. You really feel it. You know, you don't, you don't realize how important that is until you don't have it. Exactly. That's exactly right. But we still don't have crap for kickoffs. Right. We're still struggling to figure out these short pooch kick things that we're doing. We're just giving up 10 yards oftentimes every kick, And uh, it's just doesn't make any sense. We need a strong legged kicker that can do the job. But I I would say, I mean, it was definitely very apparent in the last game. Um, In this game, we we definitely kicked out of the end zone, you know, on a number of occasions. I think uh, in some of those scenarios, you know, they got it, you know, like their guy caught it, you know, near the edge of the end zone and he could have, you know, taken the knee, but he chose to take it out. And then our coverage, you know, just kind of sucked. sucked. Yeah. yeah and we, he got, you know, to the 30 or 35 yard line, let's say. Um, so, you know, I think that's less so on the kicker and more so on, you know, our coverage no, team. I, I, I disagree. And, and, and then that's, it's hard to see, on a television broadcast sometimes, but it's all about height. It's one mm-hmm. thing to say, okay, the kicker got it to the two yard line, but it's because uh, when they've evaluated film, we don't have a kicker with a strong enough leg. And so when that, when our kicker is kicking to kick it into the end zone where there where, where the, where the decision, right? The purpose is to kick it out of the end zone. They're not able to do it. Or when they do kick far enough 
sometimes it's so low in trajectory and height that uh, uh, that the uh, fielding team says, you know what, I'm going to take it out anyway because that ball's getting to me so fast uh, because there wasn't enough height there um, to hang up there. So then they go, you know, and that's why they get a good return. It's not all about the coverage being poor. It's about the fact that the kickoff did not get the height. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I know, know that height is important and that's something we have lacked in recent years for sure. It is. Um, and we, and we, and we used, it used to be a slam dunk. I mean, literally I, I, I went 30 years, maybe 35 years of following Husker football, never having to worry about kicking. Mm-hmm. Like we always had a good to great to NFL caliber kicker and punter every year. And, and, and usually they were walk-ons. Usually they were kids out of Nebraska who we, who, you know, just came into the program and just kind of got good coaching. We had a great special teams coach, Dan Young for many years under Tom Osborne. And it was just phenomenal. And so you, you grew to just expect it. And now, Holy cow. <laughs> you realize the importance of it. Yep. Um, and one little bit I wanted to talk about, cause we kind of talked about it during the game a little bit was right near the end of the second half. You may remember that um, I believe Purdue, Purdue was down uh, in a scoring position and uh, decided to go for it on a fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. And we managed to stop him on that fourth down to get the ball back with like 40 some seconds left on the clock, you know, end of the second quarter. Um, and uh, Scott decided to be aggressive and basically uh, still try to, you know, throw the ball and try to get something going. Um, and I think at that point, uh, Purdue had one, just one timeout. Uh, it was either. I think that's correct. Yeah, I think I think that's right. One timeout. Yeah, one timeout. Um, and uh, basically, you know, we didn't end up uh, getting anything done on that drive. Had to kick it. Purdue called the timeout to stop the clock, so they'd have you know twenty five seconds left or whatever. And then we get a blocked punt, um, which is coming off of the previous punt that we had, which was I think it was it was a short punt or you know something weird happened there on our last yeah. punt that you know. I was like, okay, I'm a little bit nervous about that. Um, and I know, and then because they got the ball, Purdue got the chance to drive it down, had a chance to score, couldn't score a touchdown, but kicked a field goal instead. So to shrink the lead from 17 to 14, leading to halftime, that was totally avoidable. Uh, now, I know you said that you liked that Scott was being aggressive in terms of like going for those pass plays, still trying to you know drive the knife in, as we'd say. Um, but because of that previous punt, that you knew, uh, you know, there might be a little bit of an issue there. And because of the fact that our quarterbacks haven't been able to prove the ability to, you know, be good on the long pass, which is what you need to do, you know, to get the ball down to into field goal range, you know, with 40 seconds left, you know, at least a medium to long pass kind of range. Um, I think that Scott should have uh, gone for it on the first down. You know, you can afford that on first down. And if you don't get it, then from that point, just run the ball twice. They only had one timeout. So at that point, we could have still ended the game, gone to halftime, 17 points up. Um, So I think that was too big of a risk to take in that situation. Well, uh, number one, I, 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 I think your memory of that sequence is a little different than mine. So we'll have to go back and watch that again. I don't think that Scott was necessarily aggressive in that sequence of three plays. Uh, what happened was he ran a play, which was basically a quarterback keeper for Adrian on first down. 
Adrian went sideways because there wasn't a hole uh, necessarily for him to run up, tuck up into, and he ended up losing two or three yards on first down. So we, we were behind the chains from the very get-go of that, and we end up throwing a little swing pass to, uh, uh, to um, uh, Wandell Robinson, and, uh, and it, but it was, it was like a third and, and 14 or something, third and 13, and he got like eight or nine on, a, on that little flip pass, and, uh, but it still ended up short of getting a first down. So I don't know that he was overly aggressive. It's not like he threw it deep. Uh, maybe on second down he threw a, a pass, but that was because we had lost yardage on first down. Um, but my my argument would have been I would have shared what, what your point is is that you know maybe you try on first down to throw the ball uh, in that situation and and try to pick up like twenty yards on a square end or something. And if you do, great. Then you go ahead and try to do what you're going to do. But but if you don't get that uh, twenty yard gain then you hunker down and try to just get a first down and run off the clock. Um, and uh, we weren't able to do either, and we didn't run much time off the clock because of the pass choice. And, uh, and I think they maybe used a timeout. So bottom line was they got the ball back with, uh, um, with some real um, you know, position, good position. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with your point, though. It's, it's that we need to not give up that situation there was absolutely no excuse for the fact that that we gave up uh points at the end of that half it was great that we only gave up three frankly that was a great job by our defense to keep that right. three yes and especially coming off of them just on the previous drive stopping them on uh, fourth and short you know uh when right. they decide to go for it to try to get the touchdown instead of kicking the field goal so you know our defense definitely pulled through for us there which to be frank, they've they've done that quite a lot this season. There's been a lot of red zone stops or goal line stands and things like that by the D this year. Um, and the last thing I wanted to bring up in regards to this game was, of course, uh, the quarterback situation. We brought in Adrian as our starter, which I think we all agreed that that made sense. And he definitely played his best game of the season. Uh, he was 23 of 30 and throwing for t- 242 yards, and he ran it for 45 um, still not showing, you know, too much of that, uh, speed that, you know, we, we saw more from him in his first year, but he's fast enough to, you know, scramble out of situations when he needs to. And that came in clutch a couple times for us. Um, but of course, on uh, one of those running plays, he seemed to tweak his shoulder and he had to sit out for a series, whole series because of it. We brought in Luke McCaffrey for that series who didn't uh, really get much done. We had to punt it there. Um, and so obviously it's good to see Adrian throwing it better, being more accurate and that, you know, his, this is a step forward in his confidence, hopefully he's getting this win. Uh, but if he's hurt now, you know, us being snake bitten again, and, uh, he can't play in the upcoming game against Minnesota, uh, that would be a big deal now, I think. Oh, absolutely. It would be a huge deal for us. And yeah, whether it's an injury or COVID or whatever, if we don't have Adrian for this game against Minnesota, that diminishes our chances for success. Because I think I think I think it ends up uh, being uh, a good thing. And frankly, the timing was probably about right uh, that Scott took him out, gave uh, you know uh, Luke an opportunity to s- demonstrate what he could do. Then we were able to kind of see firsthand 
probably what the coaches have been seeing all season, which was that Luke is an incredible athlete and can make some amazing individual plays, but but he also lacks the kind of consistent accuracy and arm strength to do all the things that, that we want our quarterback to be able to do. Now, and in this game, I would say Adrian showed some of that. I mean, one of his uh, scrambles, uh, and a scramble and then about a 25-yard throw to on a rope to uh, um, um, Wandell Robinson that ended up leading to a touchdown for us uh, was one of the best throws I've seen of, of Adrian Martinez since his freshman year. So I, I saw some glimmers of hope there for sure, and he, he's important to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was funny too. Uh, once again, Wandale was our top receiver, even though he's you know this short little guy, but he's just so damn fast. He had 114 yards uh, via receptions in this game. So. Yep, and, and and he's he he is obviously our our probably our premier weapon. Although we have some other guys that are starting to develop, and and if we can get some of those other threats to, to get to the point where coaches and you know defensive coordinators have to plan to to anticipate, um, you know the other thing that was really important is just having uh, Mills, having yeah. Dedrick Mills available. Yeah, I mean just having the threat of a guy who could at least put put his nose in there and consistent consistently get us two and three and four yards, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but compared to when he when Diedrich wasn't in there you know where we seem to be either getting stuffed to the line of scrimmage or even negative plays from the running back position when when we get Diedrich going even if he's not making big plays he's moving the chains he's keeping us on schedule a little bit more and it just opens up so much more of our offense yep yep I was gonna make a point of that too it was really great to have Mills back on the team here um, and one thing I missed, uh, we probably should have mentioned in our pregame with AJ last week, uh, but that uh, Bob Diaco is the defensive coordinator at Purdue. So there's a yeah. Nebraska connection there, which is kind of funny. Yes. Well, and that's the thing is that I don't know that it had a huge bearing on the game because we're, we're talking about different coaching staffs. It's not if, if that if the coaching staff at Nebraska was still the group where that Diaco had coached with then maybe that would give both him and them more familiarity with each other. But the fact is, is that Diaco didn't know Scott Frost and his staff at all, other than just maybe friendship, you know, acquaintance type stuff. Um, so not as big a deal. But Diaco, it, like he did at Nebraska, I think is struggling because I think his defensive philosophy and scheme simply does not work unless you have premier athletes. Yep. Um, yep, seems to be that way. So looking ahead now to the Minnesota game next week, our last game of the regular season, as it were, at least, you know, until the Big Ten figures out what they're doing with these crossover games. Um, We're playing Minnesota, who's coming off of a little stint of uh, COVID, so they haven't, they didn't play last week. Um, Well, the last two weeks. Last two weeks, there you go. Um, But, and so they missed a lot of practice time then as well. Uh, but it's sounding like that uh, though they have some players still out uh, due to the 21 days, um, they feel like that they'll be able to play this weekend. Uh, however, their star wide receiver, uh, Bateman, ha- yeah. has uh, decided to sit out the rest of the season, um, which is a big deal because he was their top guy on offense. Right. Well, they have, they have great running backs. They have some other wide receivers that are good. But Bateman is an NFL talent, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you can't 
you when when you're a team like Minnesota or Nebraska, where you maybe only have you know three or four guys that are NFL caliber on your team, and especially in the skill positions, you take one of those guys away, that has an impact on your team. And uh, so I, I'm sure that with him out, Nebraska's that changes up what Nebraska's game plan is probably going to be. Which you know, if he was playing, they would have had to been. Uh, a little bit more concerned about the passing game. I would say now they probably have, especially as good as our defensive secondary played against Purdue, who also had NFL caliber wide receivers, um, uh, that Nebraska's feeling pretty good about, okay, let's match up with these guys on the outside and focus on on uh, stopping their other real asset, which is their running back, Ibrahim, who's a stud and runs hard and gives 100% effort every time he touches the ball. And that scares me a great deal because our tackling has not been excellent this year. It's, it's improved, but it's not excellent. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I worry about him just kind of grinding out first downs against us. So depending on how many of their offensive linemen are affected by COVID and stuff, obviously will have an impact on that. But overall, I would say that uh, this should lend itself to our defense being able to slow down their offense a little bit because their offense is quite potent. In fact, as I look at the uh, the stat matchup between Nebraska and Minnesota, you know most of the offensive categories are uh, uh, advantage Minnesota from a statistical standpoint. Uh, most of the defensive categories advantage Nebraska. Uh, Minnesota's defense lost a lot from last year's team, and it's, it shows that they're still a team that's got some youth and is um, struggling to find itself there here in this COVID shortened weird season. Uh, so I would expect our offense, keyword should, uh, be able to have some success against this defense. And the question is, can our defense slow them down enough for us to create some separation and maybe get you know a dominant victory? Uh, that would be a, a, a welcome watershed moment for Nebraska. I'm not sure we're ready for that. I'm not sure we're there. But it sure would be nice if it happened. Right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> there are two points I'm going to bring up here. Um, one uh, is that uh, – we saw in terms of how good our secondary played in that game against Purdue, we saw uh, Cam Taylor Britt had his best game of his career, probably um, in terms of how many balls he was batting away and uh, all that sort of stuff. So I he hope- was just a phenomenal athlete. He tack- he made that tackle on fourth down. That guy was an absolute stud. Yep, yep, and I hope to see him perform to the same degree against Minnesota. That would be great to see. Um, But what I was thinking about was our earlier victory against Penn State, right? And then we went into that Illinois game, which everybody was then projecting for us to win in terms of the the stats guys and the gamblers and all that. And right, uh, spread. Right, we heard from the coaches that the team got kind of cocky, right, and weren't pre- didn't have a great week of practice, you know, thinking, oh, we got this against this Illinois team, right? And we, you know, that that turned ugly fast. Um, now here we go. We we've, we've got another win, you know, against Minnesota or Purdue, which is great. Um, but I hope that the coaches have been able to point back to that Illinois game and say, all right, guys, you remember what happened last time, right? We can't let that happen here. This Minnesota team kicked our ass last year, but we're going to change that narrative. And, you know, and this is at in Lincoln, you know, this is like senior day, right? So uh, all the more reason to to play hard and, uh, and get a W here um, to help the season, you know, end on a stronger note. I, I, Totally agree with you, and and I and I, I would kind of flip the script a little bit. I would say that 
I would be very critical of Nebraska's coaches for not having uh, uh, sensed that the team was not practicing well early in the week leading up to the Illinois game. That should have been on the coaches with a young team who hadn't enjoyed success uh, for, for them to write that ship way before it became the excuse after the, after the fact to say, well, we didn't have a good week of practice. That's bullshit. And, and, and that's not on the kids at that point because they didn't know any better. They didn't know what winning was like. The coaches know. Okay. And, and so I blame that on them. Now this week, after having experienced what they did at Illinois, now it's on the leaders uh, of the players this week. Yes, the coaches have got to call it out, but even more so, I would argue that it's the players now this week that have got to make sure that they're holding people accountable for their effort and their focus and, and lock it in. And the other thing that you got to keep in mind that's, that's being a little bit of a help here is school's over. These kids are not going to school right now. Right. So they're just practicing. That's all they're doing is practicing and hanging out. So they can be really locked in. They can be watching some more film. They can be doing all the right things, hopefully, to prepare for this game, uh, knowing that this might very right. well be the last. Because, you know, like you said, uh, going at the beginning of the podcast, we don't know what's going to happen with ninth week, right? It's supposed to be this matchup thing, but shit, they don't even know. Right now, there's, it sounds like there's going to be some hodgepodge of there's a few dome stadiums that they're going to get for, of course, you know, the Indianapolis one for the conference championship game. And maybe the two versus two and the three versus three are going to be in these neutral site uh, dome stadiums. But then the remainder of them are going to maybe end up being on campuses and played out, you know, uh, um, you know, and how they're going to pick who gets the home field and who doesn't is anybody's guess. The fact that they have no clue is another example of the, piss poor leadership that has been going on in the big 10 since this whole COVID thing started. Yeah. Uh, you brought up a good point though, that, uh, you know, it's easy to, uh, forget in these weird times that we're in right now, but you know, it's not normal for the teams to be playing, uh, this late into November, you know, usually like we're done by now and we're just waiting for the, the championship conference championship games and the bowl games later on. And, you know, that sort of thing. Um, right. So, in fact, that typically the uh, the conference championship game would have happened last weekend. Exactly. Right? It's the first weekend of December would have been the conference championship game, and we would be done with the season. Right. Yeah. So this is a bit of a different situation uh, for everybody involved. Um, yes. So looking ahead to that Minnesota game, um, I know that uh, Purdue has apparently. Uh, figured out that they have some players with COVID and they won't be playing their game this com- upcoming weekend. And so there are some concerns and rumors that some of our guys may have gotten COVID as well. Um, so we'll have to see how that all plays out. But uh, presuming for the moment that we don't lose anybody significant uh, to COVID, but with a potentially injured Adrian Martinez, uh, what do you think our chances are going into this Minnesota game in terms of a prediction? Okay. Well, so, and I'm going to reference back to the stats matchup here a little bit in this in my assessment here. But I actually think that uh, we have some real positive momentum from the Purdue victory. I think some kids learned a few things uh, at this point in the season. We've been practicing pretty consistently. I think the coaches, to their credit, even in, in the in the midst of all the criticism that they receive, I think the coaches have been consistently continuing the message. The guys. Who are, who are locked in to say this is what we got to do, and, and it's starting to take hold. I think they've tight, all of them 
offensive line, defensive line, you know, all the different groups have, have tightened up their rotations, meaning I think we're, we're playing fewer players now and, uh, and, and we're getting more reps for those players so that their, their ability to understand what's going on and their ability to execute the game plan is, is locked in a little better than it was earlier in the season when we were still experimenting and trying a variety of different players and stuff. Um, so all that lends itself to us. Uh, I would say from, uh, from the uh, um, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota standpoint, you know, they, they basically took a week and a half, let's say, off. They started practicing, I think, on either Saturday or Sunday of uh, this past week. So, um, you know, they've been, pa- they've been practicing for a little while, but, but uh, for the most part, they skipped two weeks. Right. And uh, that is tough because they didn't even have team activities, which means, you know, they weren't even lifting weights or anything. And uh, and this is uh, kind of potentially the last game of the year. So uh, I think, uh, you know, Minnesota's got a challenge in front of them. They got to get their guys in shape, mentally focused and ready to execute at a high level. And I think the Wisconsin result of last weekend, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, is an indication of what happens when you start having all this. Uh, you know, up and down stuff of, of, of COVID uh, lockdowns. Right. So um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just think an awful lot of stuff is going our, our favor. The concerns I have that, that goes back to the comparison. Um, there's interesting stats here for the year. Um, um, Minnesota's in the top 15 in fewest penalties. Mm. We are, we are of course 95th. <laughs> uh, um the uh, uh, so penalties, penalty yards, and time of possession, they're fourth in the country. Minnesota is fourth in the country in average time of possession, and so and that's because they have a great running game. And they had Bateman and some other wide receivers who were good, whose names I can't state to you. But between having that NFL threat in Bateman and then some other solid receivers and solid tight ends and a good offensive line they have been able to control their football, right? And that's something that scares the heck out of me because we're not good at that. We're 106th in the country in time of possession. So, so if there's, there's some little hints there that this could be a little bit of a tough matchup for us uh, from the standpoint of just what their strengths are versus what our strengths are. But I, I think that we have a lot of advantages. We've been playing where we've got positive momentum. Uh, so I'm going to predict we're going to win the football game and, and I'm going to go ahead and be optimistic and say uh, it's, it's home game. It's senior day. Um, We're starting to put it together. I think they may be having a little bit more of a challenge to get their kids uh, with the right mental attitude. So I think we win and I'm, I'm hopeful that we win by more than the spread. The spreads around 10, 11 points right now. So I'm going to say we win by 17 points, right? So, uh, now I got to come up with the score. Uh, I think they're going to score some points on us uh, because of their running game, particularly. Um, so I'm going to say it's going to be somewhat similar to the um, um, Purdue game. Uh, Purdue game, except we're going to score a few more points. So I'm going to say I'm going to say uh, uh, Minnesota 24, and then how do you add 17 to that? So um, 41. Yeah, four, uh, let's say 42-24. 42-24. Okay, I like it. Um, and one point I'm going to make on that front is, obviously, uh, Purdue's running game isn't 
to the same level of caliber as uh, uh, what we're going to see out of Minnesota. Um, but Correct. I was impressed by what I saw from our defensive line. Even when they were passing it, we were consistently contracting the pocket, you know, and uh, also seeing guys uh, just in general, like coming off, they were coming off of their blocks to get the tackle on, you know, uh, passing receiver or running back and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So those things give me hope that uh, we'll, you know, not that we'll be able to shut down the running game to the extent we did against Purdue. That's just unreasonable. Um, but I do think we'll be able to slow them down. Um, the bigger question for me is I think a lot really does hinge on Adrian. Even if he does play, um, we know, you know, he's clearly was hurt. You know, we, we saw that in the uh, game. So that's going to make him a little more tentative to run. You'll recall in the fourth quarter when we were making our last drive that got us that field goal, um, he slid uh, on a long, oh. like, third down Stupid. or something or second down. Yes. When, you know, if he had just plowed forward a bit, he probably would have gotten the first. But, uh, you know, but I understand that he slid because that right shoulder really was hurting him. Um, so... I'm going to predict that we do win, but I think I'm going to predict that Adrian is going to, you know, not be able to play as well as he did against Purdue because of that injury. And so it's going to be a nail biter. Um, but I'm going to say Nebraska wins. Let's say it's, uh, let's go with 35 Nebraska, uh, 28 Minnesota. Okay. So seven point victory. You know what? I like your score. You know, it's very well thought out and, and I didn't really take into consideration the Martinez thing. I'm I'm presuming that 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 was just a bruised shoulder kind of situation because of the way he fell on it. It was just him landing on his shoulder, right? Uh, and and is not something major. It was just a discomfort thing. And by by you know the end of this week, I'm I'm expecting him to be basically 100 percent and ready to play. Now, if it turns out that they can't play because of an injury or COVID or whatever. Then obviously these these he, these uh, uh, predictions on our part are 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 not going to be what 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 is reality. But boy, it sure it, this would be a huge victory. Also, Alex, I think it, especially if we can win like I'm predict, predicting, you know, where we get a really solid victory, because uh, now you got a two game winning streak. You, now you're you're probably looking in a situation where we would be tied for like third in the division with about three other teams. And uh, and uh, we might be in a position to play a pretty decent opponent then in this cross-up or crossover matchup the following week, right? Right. We where we would end up playing Penn State again or or somebody like that, you know, maybe Indiana, even. Yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, I well, in Indiana would surely be ranked above us. Um, oh, you're right. That wouldn't be Indiana. It would be, be Penn like, State right, or Rutgers, Maryland or right. Rutgers. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Which are all pretty and damn I, talented. I certainly hope talent. if that did happen, we wouldn't get paired up with Penn State again for the rematch just because right. A, everybody's already seen that, and B, I think we would lose if we played them again just because of how right. those things tend to go. Um, you mentioned Wisconsin earlier, you know, who obviously has had a very difficult season in terms of having to take games off because of COVID and things like that. Um, and we gave our predictions about that Indiana game because we knew as of when we did the last podcast that Indiana's 
uh, starting quarterback was hurt and wasn't going to play. So we all predicted that Wisconsin would win. I said 38-24. You said 35-21. And AJ said 28-21, all for Wisconsin. Uh, but the final game ended up being something quite different. And Indiana won 14-6 with Wisconsin just scoring two field goals. Um, yeah, and, and this is with Indiana's backup quarterback because their starter tore his ACL and is out for the season. Amazing. Yep. yep. And, yeah, I think there were two turnovers by Wisconsin that were significant. Uh, but even with that, I, I've watched the highlights afterwards. And uh, in the fourth quarter, they had a drive going. And uh, the guy, it was actually, it was interesting. The quarterback had a low snap, so he had to kind of bend down to get the ball. And then he th- threw it to this guy in the end zone. And the receiver had the Indiana guy beat. But because the ball came a little late, you know, he just kind of ran out of room in that corner of the end zone and the ball was kind of batted away. But if that Wisconsin quarterback had gone that off just like half a second earlier, they might have gotten touchdown there. They go for two, tie up the ball game, you know, or in a different scenario. But that didn't happen. And uh, Indiana has continued to have this uh, amazing season of theirs. Right, exactly. And, 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 uh, and it's a little bit of a head scratcher for Wisconsin, other than the fact that you got to look at Wisconsin and realize they've been up and down. They've missed at two different times. They've missed, um, you know, a significant time because of COVID. So they haven't been able to practice regularly. And then they've had players out because of the COVID 21 day thing. So they just aren't the team that they could have been. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of get why Wisconsin didn't play well. It'll be interesting to see how Wisconsin plays this week. Mm-hmm. They it, play Iowa. They do play Iowa. Yep, that'll be an interesting matchup. Um, and then the other big upset that I want to talk about was um, BYU, who is getting some talk on the national side of things because they uh, were undefeated up to this point. Had to play Coastal Carolina, and uh, Coastal Carolina managed to pull out the upset, uh, 22-17. Also another scenario where uh, BYU was driving it you know, late and uh, – through like a Hail Mary pass that uh, the guy caught at like the one yard line. Like, you know, it was real close (laughs) (laughs) right there at the end. Uh, And it's, it's interesting. uh, The the head coach at coastal Carolina, coastal Carolina's program was literally just getting started a few years ago, maybe um, eight eight years ago, something like that. And the head coach there, Joe Moglia, I think is his last name or Moglia is actually got Nebraska roots. Uh, he was a GA. Uh, so here's the thing. He was a CEO of a major company. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say it was a loan company. I, I don't know if it was Ameritrade, but I think it was Ameritrade. You know, the company Ameritrade. Right. Um, he was one of the founders of that company. So he was a multi, multi-millionaire. And then he stepped away from that role, retired, if you will. I think he was CEO. Uh, and, and he, he had had a lifetime passion of, of college f- football or football and wanted to be a coach. And he became a GA, a graduate assistant under, uh, Bo Pelini at Nebraska. Mm. And, and he was a graduate assistant at, uh, there, but because of his executive background and, and everything like that, he obviously had a lot of the skills to be a leader and to be a, a head coach, right? He understands how to run an organization. So then, um, you know, Coastal Carolina starting a football program and decides that they want to, you know, take a take a flyer on this guy because he was really good. He was highly 
highly re- respected within Nebraska's program as a GA because he just came with so many leadership skills. Um, right. And he and he was given the job. He took the job. And so he's gone from CEO of a fortune, you know, thousand company, certainly. But I don't know, you know, but certainly multimillionaire, very successful businessman, you know, probably in his late 40s, early 50s at the time. Um, and boom, um, he becomes the head coach of a, of a fledgling football program. And now here they are kicking ass, you know, less than a decade later under his leadership. So yeah. kind of cool. And, and his origins are from Nebraska. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, once again, I just watched the highlights of the you know game, although it sounds like it was a really thrilling game to watch live. Um, but uh, Coastal Carolina, they have a little running back guy. He reminds me of Wandale Robinson, uh, except even faster. Like this guy has some serious speed just from watching mm. hit the highlights. Yeah, um, and, and he 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 ran all over BYU in this game, so he's yeah, somebody awesome. to watch out for for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so there are a couple other upsets in Week 15, uh, but I think we're going to transition into looking ahead to the this upcoming weekend uh, because there's a whole story that is now developed in regards to that. Of course, there's the game uh, that is very familiar to us coming from Michigan, the Michigan Ohio State rivalry game. Um, and now there have been concerns about that game potentially being canceled because of um, some COVID concerns on the Michigan side of things um, for a while now. And it seems that that was indeed the case because the game has now been canceled, uh, which is causing a whole situation at Big Ten HQ. And, you know, with all the media, <laughs> all the media outlets talking about it now, because Ohio State now has. Uh, not been able to play three separate games uh, because of COVID. And so uh, does not have the requisite games to play in the conference championship game, according to the Big Ten rules. And also according to those Big Ten rules, they can't reschedule an opponent last minute. Um, they got to just sit it out and deal with it, uh, which was, of course, the situation that Nebraska was in earlier this year when we tried to schedule in our replacement for Wisconsin. And that wasn't able to go through. So now the question is, uh, will the Big Ten change its mind because the Golden Boy is in trouble uh, and kind of show their hypocrisy, as it were? Right. Well, you know, I mean, I hope they do. I hope they demonstrate, finally, the flexibility that they should have had up front. I mean, the fact that this just proves that we were right, and it does. It's so great that uh, you're starting to see a few national commentators and pundits and folks acknowledge that, you know, the statements that came out of the University of Nebraska's leadership uh, way early on in this thing, so many of them have come to complete fruition in terms of the philosophy that we took and approached uh, and, and how we got raked over the coals by some media members and by our own conference where we were this, you know, kick them out of the conference mentality. These guys are rebels. And it turns out we were right, right? So, uh, but I, but rather than saying, "Oh, you can't, you can't do this, Big Ten, because you wouldn't let us do it," I don't, I don't feel that that's a good idea for Nebraska, its fans, or its media to take that approach. I think what we need to acknowledge is, uh, hey, guys, the great news is we've been proven right pretty much across the board on this deal, whether it has to do with having a football season at all, you know, and our push to have football. Uh, and, and w- what role we played in that, 
as, as well as the whole, you know, debacle of the first canceled game where Wisconsin had to cancel because of COVID. And we attempted to get uh, an alternative, um, you know, game in, which I think would have been huge for us if we had been able to get that alternative game. I'm not talking about playing Wisconsin. I'm talking about playing an alternative team. Uh, that would have been huge for us and I think would have changed the outcome almost certainly of the Northwestern game, if not more than that. Um, and so um, I want Ohio State to have a game this weekend. I would very much be happy with whatever the Big Ten was willing to do to help them have a game. Now, the problem is is that they have another opponent now, Indiana. So there's two uh, Big Ten East teams that are available to play each other this weekend, but they've already played. So the question is, uh, is it is it more advantageous for the Big Ten to have Ohio State and Indiana play each other and give Ohio State and Indiana a chance to have another game, let their players play and compete, or is it better for them to simply stand on the sidelines and 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 then just waive the 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 six six game requirement that they put? I mean, they could easily just wave the magic wand, excuse me, and decide that. Um, you know what? We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna change our minds about the six six game requirement due to extenuating circumstances of COVID, and allow Ohio State at five and zero to uh, be the Big Ten East champion and play Northwestern in the in the conference championship game. That would be the easy choice, right? And then they get their sixth game in, and I think a six and zero Ohio State who who has won dominantly in almost every game, you know, who has a, a, a phenomenal quarterback and, you know, there's no reason that you wouldn't consider them good. The only problem is, is you're comparing them to a, a one loss Texas A&M team that has played what, 10 or 11 games. Right. And so who's, who's the more deserving team? Is it Ohio state or is it Texas A&M? Right. Yep. And there was there was a Sports Illustrator article, um, which I read earlier, and it was quite good. And there's two quotes I'm going to pull from it. Um, this okay. one is from a Big Ten administrator who uh, texted this apparently today uh, to this reporter. I mean, we did announce a schedule in August and cancel the season five days later and then bring it back. So to dig in the heels on this one seems a bit weird. And with the ACC saying Notre Dame and Clemson aren't playing this week to avoid any upsets, it seems precedent is that we should all adjust on the fly. So to your point, basically this guy's saying that, you know. Uh, be flexible. Be flexible, right. Yes, and that's been the message of Nebraska. Be right. flexible. And, and even when they were arguing for their own you know, benefit, obviously, to, to be able to get that game uh, during the Wisconsin week. Um, we were saying, hey, we were projecting it to, hey, you know, this is going to happen again. This is just the first time, but it's going to happen again in the season. We were predicting that, and we were right. Right. And why oh. Why couldn't you have seen that? Everybody and their brother knew that. Right. The, the thing is, if they do change the rules and let them play in the championship game, what do you say if you're Indiana, who admittedly played uh, – Ohio State and lost uh, pretty, you know, decisively, uh, but has won all their other games. And, you know, if this rule isn't changed, then they'll be the one to play in that championship game. So you're basically robbing them of their opportunity based on the current rules. So, you know, if I'm an Indiana fan, I'd be calling foul for sure. Oh, absolutely. Because you're changing the rules very late in the game here, right? And, and Indiana has done what they needed to do. 
But and so if you're going to take that approach, then Indiana, this is your two choices. Either because you're available, because Purdue's now out, right? Indiana, you have to uh, um, um, you have to play Ohio State again. You want to you want to play for the Big Ten championship as Big Ten East champions, then beat Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you don't, then uh, accept the fact that we're going to pick Ohio State over you, even though you have played more games. You're seven, you know, you're you have seven games in, and they only have five. Right. right. So, so I think those are the two choices you give Indiana. I don't think Indiana can cry foul because of the change in the, in the in the rule because they're they have a path. Right. If, if if you're hung up about that, then demand that the game be played and that you be given the opportunity for a rematch with Ohio State. I'm totally okay with that. And yeah. if that's what they want, then I say Ohio State needs to be ready to say, yeah, absolutely, let's strap it up. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, I, I hadn't realized that Indiana was available, so that does kind of well, play out in a way that I think Indiana, if they're given those options, they would definitely take it. Like we get a second chance at Ohio State and still have a chance to play for our you know, shot at the title. Right. And, and uh, well, I'm saying that because I know Purdue, I, I don't know if that's been formally canceled yet, but there's a lot of indications that it will be. Right. And the other quote I wanted to quote from this, just because I thought it was well-written, uh, is it says up here at the top, uh, welcome back for the latest episode of College Athletics Surprise Hit Series of 2020. What the hell will the Big Ten do now? Uh, the Big Ten has had it all. Shocking plot twists, shoddy leadership, anger, waffling, petulance, pettiness, selfishness, near constant discord, and a succession of plans doomed to fail. <laughs> is exactly. That, is that an apt description or what? <laughs> it absolutely is. I mean, their, their leadership has been horrible. And, and, and I'm telling you, and that's where I think Nebraska uh, uh, shines as the, as, the, as, the, uh, as the shining star of logic and reasonableness through this whole deal. From the very beginning of we want to play to through the, hey, we know that now that we have these rules, we need to, you know, be working towards alternatives that allow us to play however we can play on the weeks where we get canceled because it's going to happen. And in, and in each case, the, the, the formal statements from the university uh, leadership were very clear that this wasn't about just, oh, we want this because Nebraska wants it. It was we want this because it's the right thing to do for our student athletes who've been busting their ass to prepare for a season. It's the right thing to do in terms of uh, what we can do in terms of our television partners. And hey, it's going to be happening again. And if you want to get somebody in the playoff, you need to know that this is going to happen. And all that seemed obvious to the leadership at Nebraska. And yet it seemed uh, to uh, elude the leadership at Big Ten headquarters. Right. So the final thing I want to discuss is let's say that uh, the Big Ten sticks to their guns and Ohio State doesn't play anybody and it's Indiana Northwestern for the uh, championship game in the Big Ten. Uh, But um, Ohio State is still, you know, uh, five and zero or whatever they are. Um, five and zero, right? And yeah, and then like you said, the debate then comes down to Ohio State versus Texas A and M um, for getting that fourth spot into the playoff. Uh, presuming I, I would, things play out, you know, as we'd expect otherwise. Um, right. Uh, then, then I, I believe it would be very hard for them to not allow Texas A and M to be in. And for Ohio State to be given the invite to whatever bowl game they can get to, sorry, Charlie, right. because I think the the 
the evidence, uh, the preponderance of evidence is that uh, Texas A&M has played, you know, four, maybe five more football games more than, than Ohio State. They've played in the toughest conference in the country, in the SEC, and their only loss is to the number one team in the country. Right. Right. I so, I agree with you, and I think if that's how the situation played out, then that's what I would like to see for the principle of it. You know, since Ohio State's yeah. not a conference champion and exactly. they have played less games, uh, but yep. I think you know we could also admit that from the eye test and just you know kind of knowing the talent on both teams, Ohio State is the more talented team, and you know. Uh, probably may be able to compete better, you know, with those other teams that will be in the playoff than Texas A&M. But I think you have to give, even though, you know, our, our biases and what we've seen on the field indicates us that way. I think you have to stick by your guns of results and games are what matter the most. Okay. So let me, if that's true, then, then this is the thing. Then we have to revisit what Nebraska requested. (laughs) <laughs> because the opportunity is there. You you know what? If you're Ohio State, and if that's what the Big Ten's telling you, then Ohio State better be on the phone with Texas A&M. For, for historical reference, Texas A&M is not playing this weekend because of uh, COVID from their opponent. I don't know who they were scheduled to play. I don't, even, I don't know their schedule. I just know they're available. So Texas A&M and Ohio State could play sometime soon. You know, they could maybe play on Sunday or Monday if they need a couple of other days to coordinate the logistics and to give the teams some time to do some legitimate preparation for that opponent. Uh, But they could find a way to have a game sometime close to this weekend uh, uh, between those two teams to not only uh, determine what you just said, you, you said, well, it's kind of obvious that Ohio state has more talent than A&M. No, not to everybody else. Let's prove it on the field. And I think Ohio State would be absolutely okay with proving that um, uh, if they're given that opportunity. The question is, is, are the, is the Big Ten going to put their head in the sand like they've done this whole goddamn time? Or are they going to finally demonstrate some flexibility and understand that they have to be flexible in this circumstance and open the door to either allowing Ohio State to play a non-conference game against someone like Texas A&M or possibly, you know who else? University of Cincinnati, that would be within the same state. Cincinnati's available, and they're a top 15 team. So so both very viable opponents, right? right. So, yep. p- But non-conference again. If you're going to be hung up about, oh, it's got to be within the conference, then, then you better play Indiana this weekend. Right. I, I just don't l- give a damn that it's a repeat. I you just know, looked, matter. I just looked it up. Uh, Texas A&M has played eight games, so they're seven and one right now. And you're okay. and you're right; they don't have a game scheduled for this weekend, but they play the following weekend against Tennessee. That's their last game. Okay, got it. So, so uh, yeah, so they're available. So I mean, if if you want to argue that we're more deserving than Texas A&M, then let's have a game. Let's let's let's. I mean, and I think A&M would embrace that. Hell, they would want the opportunity. That's a way for them to win into the into the finals, right? Into the college football playoff. Why wouldn't they want that game, right? Yeah, no, they so, they would want the chance. So, for sure. and, and I and I think Ohio State would embrace it too. I really do. I think that's the kind of coach Day is, and 
Right. And he would be like, let's do this. Thing. Well, right. And well, and of course, when we talked about the whole situation with the Big Ten earlier this season, Ohio State was the other kind of vocal voice alongside Nebraska in terms of calling for the season. So, yeah, I think they would definitely be open to whatever lets his boys play. He's probably game for that. But but it's, right. but it's not about him. It's about the athletic directors in the Big Ten brass. Really. Right. Well, so. yeah. And they're going to meet tomorrow. They, they have their regularly scheduled Wednesday meeting, the athletic directors, apparently. And so I'm sure this is going to come up and we might hear some news about at least some proposals. Cause, uh, but they better make a damn decision soon. I don't know why they didn't meet today. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that as soon as the announcement was made that, that Michigan-Ohio State wasn't going to happen, that they, didn't already, that they weren't already on the phone with each other uh, having a conference call and considering options. And again, if these guys were behaving like leaders who were uh, dynamically flexible during a, 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 a changing environment like COVID, um, then we should already have a plan. And they're going to lose 24 hours, just like they did. They took w- two weeks that, that sucked up our ability to have any flexibility within the, uh, our schedule because it took them two weeks to, f- to make the right decision. Everybody, if, if they had made the decision to reinstate the football season when they did, we would have been able to start in October, late October, and we would have had two open weeks in our weekend. We would have still scheduled the same number of games as we had that, as we've scheduled in this. But everybody would have actually got probably been able to get, if not eight games in, certainly seven of the eight games, because they would have had two weeks to flexibly adjust around COVID. Right. Like other conferences have done. Yes. Right. Exactly. And, and just the whole flexibility of maybe playing a non-conference opponent, you know, given the right set of circumstances. And if, uh, I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous. And now they're Quint, you know, you said at the beginning of this podcast, or near the beginning, um, the the premier game of the year outside of their Big Ten championship game, from a television revenue and you know money making standpoint, is what the canceled. Ohio State Michigan game. Yep, and it's canceled. Right. So you, you think the, uh, the television partners are happy about that? No. No. No, they are not. Okay. So, and and now uh, your second leading team in the Big Ten East. Indiana may very well not be playing this weekend. So the two premier teams on the East side are not playing, right? Right. Uh, bad luck. Horrible luck for the Big Ten. You're idiots. <laughs> okay? Yep. Yep. So, yep, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. You know, yeah, this Wednesday meeting, like you said, it's a regularly scheduled meeting. Um, so, uh, you know, but of course this issue will almost certainly – crop up but uh to your point they haven't shown themselves to be quick decision makers throughout this whole uh year so uh we'll we'll see what what comes of that i'm more just from the nebraska side of things i'm more like as you said that we were supposed to figure out the ninth game by either monday or tuesday and here we are end of day tuesday when we're recording this and we still don't know so uh, (laughs) these games are supposed to happen in a week and a half so they really got to figure things out just for the logistics of the teams and everything. Yeah. Hell yes. Yeah. Uh, see, I think that I think that they must be still considering canceling it. Oh, uh, they definitely I, I, are. I, yeah, I, I think I think it's probably 50-50 that they're going to come out sometime, maybe even later this week, and say, well, the ninth week's just not going to happen. We have enough COVID going on, and it's just the logistics were just too much to overcome, and so we're just going to pass, and we're just going to go ahead and uh, – 
look to the bowl games and our bowl game partnerships and try to get as many of our teams uh, positioned well for those opportunities that we can. Right. And the end of story. Yep. And we'll play our conference championship game and be done. Uh, but, and here's the thing. Uh, I love the way Nebraska has approached this from the very beginning. I don't think there was any uh, uh, visions of conference championships in Scott Frost or his staffs or anybody in our athletic department's vision of this year. They knew what they had. This was a developmental year. This was a year in which we were going to try to get better as a football team and to build our culture of winning. And we're trying to do that. And to do that, you need to play as many games as you can. And that's what we're doing. And I'm very proud of, of what they've done and the decisions they made and the positions they've taken throughout this whole deal, even though it has damaged our relationship with the Big Ten because we had the gall to not toe the line and be the quiet, you know, uh, subservient child. Right. Um, yep. And now they know what they got in us. We are a team. We are a, we are a, a university that is going to always behave, especially on the athletic side, in a way that we think is in the best interest of our student athletes. Yep, it's, it's what we're going to do. Yep, yep. Well, like you said, they know that now, and I know that you know we we don't we don't have much influence in the conference, being the, the newbies and all that, and kind of sucking in the time that we've been here. But you know, we do still have that. Uh, the money we bring in on TV and, you know, the, the fans that travel and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, you know, we do still have some, some leverage in that regard. Well, and, 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 and the fact that we've been able to maintain some of those uh, significant contributions, even in, in light of 20 years of, you know, wandering in the desert um, uh, is an, is a profound thing for the big 10 to pay attention to. Cause what that means is that if we ever get our shit together, and we become uh, not the Nebraska of old, but we come, we become a reasonably consistent competitor in the league. Um, guess what that means to uh, television revenues, uh, you know, national prominence, all that stuff. It goes through the roof because let me tell you what people will, will watch Nebraska. If we become relevant again, a lot of non Nebraska fans will watch Nebraska and be excited to see, well, this feels good. This feels right. Cause they grew up, with Nebraska being relevant, right. you know? So yep. I still think it's there. Yep. Must be nice to grow up with Nebraska being relevant, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though you did, I did. Yeah. All Sorry, right. Son. Yeah, thanks. Um, so we're going to end this podcast here. Um, a little bit of a longer one, but we got into some good discussion. And uh, probably after next week, you know, uh, we'll – dive more deep into the playoff discussion. I haven't been following that as closely, but uh, we'll kind of be able to get more into that and the different conference championship lineups and all that fun stuff for next week. So that'll be a interesting podcast. And of course we're getting close to that big uh, 100, which we'll be in person for. So we'll do something special for that. That sounds great. I love it. All right. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete 13 at gmail.com. We always love hearing from the fans. You can also leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And we always like hearing from everybody. And you can subscribe to us there. Uh, So thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for hosting with me, Dad. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Red.